Good morning, everyone. Welcome to our service this morning. Yeah. It's good to go away and do different things. It's good to have a, a break from the norm, something different. But it's also good to gather back together and to share what we've done, to encourage each other in the things that we've been involved in. And if we've not had a great week, to listen to people about the things that have gone on that haven't been so good and to share with each other. But today we gather back together after a week of doing lots of different things to worship God together and to share our lives with him and each other. So let's stand and sing our first song together as we gather back after a week of many different things. Let's stand together. Of course, when we gather together, we gather with each other and with God, but we're also invited to partake in the life of God, to take part, to join him. Jesus invites us to this table this morning to eat and to drink. He invites us to come and share with him an intimate meal. He invites us to come and lay our lives before him so that he can refresh us and renew us. The Bible talks about how when we share together and we eat and drink together, we're remembering the covenant that God has made with us that can never be broken. At the start of the new year, I made a New Year's resolution. I don't do that, but I did one. And it was to leave a book group that I'd been part of for a number of years. And the reason I chose to leave it was because I never went to the meetings. (laughs) And I never read the books. But, you know, they were a kind group, and they kept inviting me to come along. And I'd occasionally turn up at the end for the cake and coffee, having not read the book and not having a clue what was happening. But, you know, this wasn't always the way. In the early days, when I was in the book group, I would read maybe a chapter of the book and possibly turn to a few meetings. In fact, one meeting was held at my house, because we used to share it around, which meant that you led the discussion on the book, which was sort of problematic for me. But at this particular book, I'd read about 50%, and I was fairly confident. And I was in the kitchen making the drinks, and I was chatting to someone, saying, oh, It's going to be good today because I've read most of the book and I know what happens. And it's such a wonderful story, isn't it? Love story and we'll talk all about love and what that is and, you know, how you draw alongside someone. And this person started to look a bit quizzical and I said, well, this is the book that we've been reading. And she said, yeah, yeah, we've been reading it. But you do know that right at the end she dies, don't you? And I'm like, but I haven't got that far. I've only done 50%. So I had to change my whole discussion, basically. I started off by saying, I've only read 50% of the book, so I need you to tell me the rest. What I really needed for my book group was a summary. Do you know, a book that you could read, and partway through, it had a summary of all that was happened and all that was going to happen. And, you know, that would have helped me quite a lot. So that when I'd only managed to read one chapter... I could still bluff my way through in the group as if I knew what I was talking about. And, you know, that's why I really like the book of Hebrews in the Bible, the book that the passage that I just read a few moments earlier comes from. Because not only is it an amazing book, of course, with lots of amazing things in it, it's also a book that right here in the middle of chapter 10 has a summary 
a summary of all that's been said in the first nine chapters, which is great. It's brilliant. Because not only does it enable me the chance of bluffing my way through as a minister, as if I know what I'm talking about, but it also refocuses our attention and draws our attention back to Jesus. Having gone into all these arguments, it condenses it and draws our attention back. And as this letter to the Hebrews was originally written to Jewish Christians, people who had converted to Christianity from Judaism, this reminder was vitally important. Because you see, these people who were reading this letter originally would have been people who had been brought up believing that the only way to approach God was under a very restricted system which if you read the Old Testament and go into all the ins and outs, was a system of sacrifices and offerings and repeated procedures they carried out again and again and again so that people could draw near to God without being vaporised or something like that. They had to go through a whole rigmarole. So having converted to Christianity and now seeking to follow Jesus, the purpose of this letter was to remind them of what Jesus had done, to remind them of the new life that they had in Christ. The reason for this, although not explicitly stated, was probably because having decided to follow Jesus, they were now wavering a little bit in their belief. They would have had strong ties to the Jewish community, which they would have been part of before they became Christians, and they were possibly coming under pressure to go back to that way of life with all its systems and its festivals and its sacrifices. So the author of this letter seeks to remind them of what Jesus has done. And that what Jesus has done is above and beyond all that they knew before. And this starts right from the very beginning of the letter to the Hebrews, with the words in in chapter 1, verse 1. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets, at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir over all things, and through whom also he made the universe. In the past, says the author, God spoke to us second-hand, if you like, through various people and in lots of different ways. But now he has spoken to us by his own son. And not only has he spoken to us, he has also placed his son above all things, that had ever gone before, so that he has the supremacy over everything. And he has the supremacy over everyone. If you want me to expand, says the author, I'll use the first four chapters to show you that Jesus is greater than all you have ever known before. He's greater than the prophets. He's greater than the angels. He's greater than the priests. He's even greater than Moses, the great leader who you followed. And not only that, He's greater than the ways they lived by and the things that they were restricted by. He's greater than the sacrificial system, which is so very important. He's greater than the rituals that these people took part in. He's greater than the festivals that Moses observed. In fact, Jesus is so great, says the first nine chapters of the book of Hebrews, that not only did he come to speak to us, but he came to bring a new way of life. One that would allow people to be near to God for good. One that would allow people to approach God without ritual or rigmarole or purifying or festivals or sacrifices, 
Because Jesus came to bring a new and living way. He came to bring a new, a living way, bought by his death on the cross, by his once-for-all sacrifice, which stands above and beyond all other sacrifices that have ever happened, making them null and void. Or to pinch a verse from the book of Revelation, Jesus came to make all things new. And the writer stresses this when he says earlier in chapter 10, verses 11 to 14, every priest goes to work at the altar each day, offering the same old sacrifices year in, year out, and never makes a dent in the sin problem. As a priest, Christ made a single sacrifice for sins, and that was it. Then he sat down right beside God and waited for his enemies to cave in. It was a perfect sacrifice by a perfect person to perfect some very imperfect people. By that single offering, he did everything that needed to be done for everyone. And it's because of these amazing words, this amazing thing that Jesus had done, that the writer of the Hebrews is urging the Jewish Christians not to go back to a way of life that is ruled by empty systems and sacrifices that can never, ever take away sin. But instead, he's urging them to fully enter into the new life that Christ has paid for, urging them in this passage to draw near to God with sincere hearts in full assurance of our faith, having our hearts cleansed from a guilty conscience. Or if you like, urging them to draw near to God, knowing that everything has been dealt with, so they can draw near freely and openly and honestly as complete human beings, in the knowledge that nothing more is needed to enter into the most intimate relationship with God. And perhaps more importantly, the author urges them to draw near together, not simply to come to God on their own, honestly bearing their souls before him in private, but to draw near to him together. Not giving up meeting together because they're fearful they might be persecuted by those around or because they feel pressure from those outside of church or because they're discouraged with how things are going, but to draw near together. Because together is the only way that they could continue to live out the life that God had given them. Together was the only way that they could really spur one another on, encourage each other, help each other to survive under the conditions in which they lived. And more importantly, together was the only way they could be what God intended them to be, a community that showed the love and goodness of God to those around. Because you see, this tiny reminder in the middle of chapter 10 of the letter to the Hebrews, was not just intended to highlight what Jesus had done. It wasn't just intended for people like me who don't read books properly. It was also there to stress the importance of actively encouraging, in, encouraging each other in their faith. So that when these Jewish Christians were tempted to give up and go back to the life that they'd grown up in, one that was a lot more comfortable and at times probably seemed a lot more attractive, then there were others around them who could spur them on, not only to keep going, but to live out this new life that Jesus had given. So those around who continued with the old way of being, the empty systems, could see that the new way of Jesus was far better 
than anything that had gone before and surpassed everything that they had ever known. Do you know, it might surprise you to know that when I was younger, I did quite a lot of running. By running, I mean like fun runs, you know, when you're a teenager. And, well, I don't know whether you know, but when I was a teenager, a lot of fun runs. And my mum and dad used to say, oh, do you want to go on a fun run? It'll be great. And I'd say, yeah, sure. So I've gone a lot of fun runs. And there was one that I did, and I set off with great gusto. It was quite hilly, this one. And partway around, I started to think, hmm, I think I've gone a little bit too fast. But, you know, when you're young, you think it doesn't matter, I can do it. So I just kept ploughing on. And then I got to this one point where I was just coming around this bend and I thought, actually, do you know, I think I might throw up. I've gone too fast. You know, you could feel all the insides were not wanting to be inside anymore. And I turned this corner, and as I turned the corner, I thought, I've really got to stop because I am going to be sick. I realised I'd turned into the final field. And there were all these people. And over the tannoy came, and here's runner number 54, Kate Tibbles. Come on, welcome, Kate. Come on. And everyone's going, come on, Kate. You can do it. And I'm like, I'm going I'm to vomit everywhere. But I couldn't stop because everyone was cheering, cheering me on, waving flags. So I kept running, ploughing on, ran over the finish line. And fortunately, there was someone else vomiting as I vomited this side. But, you know, how could you stop? Because people were cheering you on. They were in, I know it's pride, but still... People were there. And, you know, the reason I continued was not because, of course, I suddenly thought, oh, I feel better now. It's gone. Gone down. It's fine. No, I felt terrible. The reason I continued was because there were all these people encouraging me to carry on, shouting my name, saying, come on, Kate, you can do it. How could I stop when people were doing that for me? And, you know, in a similar way, this is what the letter to the Hebrews is calling the Jewish Christians to do. And also what it is calling us to do as well. Because although we don't live in the times of those who this letter was originally written to, and although we may not have come along the same path or travelled the same road, the things that are written here are still relevant to us. Because, after all, we are the people of God just like they were. And in a way, we also live in a culture which, for the most part, holds values different to our own, just like they did. The values in our culture are ones that place importance on earning things, you know, earning someone's love or calculating someone's worth by what they do or working out whether someone is acceptable or not in our society. They're very different to the values of God. And so it's so good to be reminded here that God doesn't behave like this. That he never asks us to earn our place with him. But instead he says that whoever we are, whatever background we've come from, whatever things we've done, whatever thoughts plague our minds when we're in private, we're fully accepted by him and unconditionally welcomed into his presence. And that we take communion today not because of what we've done, not because of what we haven't done, not because of what we intend to do tomorrow, but because of what Jesus has done. What Jesus has done that opens the way for us to walk freely into his presence. This is the new and living way 
that has been bought for us on the cross. It's so good to be reminded of this. But it's also important that we take on the challenge of this short summary as well. That although Jesus has ticked all the boxes and jumped through all the hoops and then abolished all of the above so that we can walk freely up to him, for us to be able to continue in this new way of life, we need to do it together. We need to encourage each other. We need to draw near to God with one another. We need to walk this road hand in hand as complete human beings, open and honest and free. Not seeking to struggle along on our own and go, oh no, it's all right, I can do it, I'm fine. Or not keeping our lives hidden and just pretending everything is okay. Not living an individual and personal faith, but seeking to draw near to God together so that we can spur each other on to become the community that God intended us to be. One that shows the love and goodness of Jesus to all around. So that when we're tempted to give up and go back to the way in which we used to live, to the values that are all around us, ones that sometimes are a lot easier to live by than the ones we've chosen to live by now, then there are people who are right next to us who can encourage us to keep going, even when we feel we really, really need to stop. And, you know, this is important because, to be honest, sometimes when we come to church Things aren't that brilliant, are they? You know, we don't feel great every time we turn up on a Sunday. Sometimes the building is really very, very cold and the pews are very, very hard. And sometimes the service is quite dire. You know, sometimes we have a real duffer of a week. Kate's not on it this week. It's terrible. And, you know, if the only reason we come is to get something out of the service or because we haven't been for a while or because that's what we've always done then we can get very disappointed very quickly. And we soon lose the reality of what Jesus has done for us and the way that this has transformed our lives. But if we know that we're here, not just for this service, but because we're part of a community, a community that is seeking to live out the new way of God, or as our church vision says, a church that communicates the love of God and makes Jesus known then we will know that when we're together, we're not just gathering so we can get something. We're gathering to give to each other, to encourage each other. We're gathering to draw closer to God together, as he intended. And in doing this, we seek to make real the new way of Jesus that surpasses everything that has ever gone before. Let's just take a moment to pause and pray together. So as we go from here, let us consider how we might spur one another on. Let's consider how we might encourage each other. Let's consider how we might live out our lives as God's community here, full of love and goodness and grace. And may God surround us and keep us and walk with us. Amen.